Good evening. I, uh, I do pastor a church in Edinburgh uh, that's called Central. I also have one wife and four teenage daughters. So uh, that makes me both old, broke, slightly stressed, and, uh, and have a house that is deeply hormonal most of the time. And I don't understand most of it. So um, it's great to be here um, because it's great to be with you. It's also great to be here because it's good to be away from the teenage girl house just for a short period of time. So if you can just behave yourself, it would be great. Um, I'd love you to turn in your Bibles if you have them, which I'm sure you do. If you've memorized the whole of the scriptures, you don't need to bring your Bible at any stage, but until you do, bring the Word of God, because then you can check out whether the guy at the front or the girl at the front is actually telling the truth. So, uh, Judges, the book of Judges, and chapter 6 and 7. And we're going to read, um, we've got too, too much to read to read the whole thing, so I'm going to assume just a little bit of biblical knowledge, and uh, if you haven't got any, you'll catch up as we go along. Um, I'm going to read um, just a few verses of the story of Gideon. Um, and we read this. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about the story of the, uh, the book of Judges, but the, the people of God are kind of boom and bust. You know, there's kind of times when they're just on it with God and they're loving God and they're being obedient to God. And then God shows up and blesses them and they forget that they love God and they start to do things in their own strength and run away from God and then God judges them and then they remember again and it's this kind of this cycle thing going on and here's a down moment the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts caves and strongholds Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't leave a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now read down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from these Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now look at verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and he called it the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophir of the Abrazites. That same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull, this is very specific, <laughs> take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. 
chapter 7. Let's read from there. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. You love that? Kind of, it's like kind of Pete and I standing up front saying, we're going to go out in the street. There aren't any streets around, are there? But we're going to go into central London and we're just going to share our faith, tell everyone about Jesus and just go for it. Prophesy, say what you see, go for it. Anyone who's scared can leave now and it's just left with the two of us. And neither of us want to go either. We just have to because we suggested it, basically. That's what's going on here. So that's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you. We know that you're here, but we appropriate your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come? This is your word. It's living. It's active. It's going to speak into our hearts and it's going to change our lives if we let it. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you change things? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as Pete said, I was pastor in a, in a church in Leeds. And, and I, I was in Leeds and um, a famous speaker came to speak. His name is Brother Yun. Has anyone ever heard of Brother Yun? He wrote a book called The Heavenly Man. It's one of those really annoying books. You know, the kind of books where he's so flipping holy. This guy, you know, he's memorized the whole of the New Testament. Every time he speaks, thousands of people get saved. Yada, yada, yada. All that kind of stuff. And, and you know, so I went along and it was, it was good and it was, it was great. And I sat at the back because I'm a church leader. You know, if I'm doing something, I sit at the front. If I'm not doing something, I pretend I'm kind of doing prophetic thing at the back. But I like to go down the back. So I was at the back with my wife, Nikki, and about 300 people from our church were there. And Brother Yuen has an incredible preaching style. He, he basically speaks Mandarin. I don't speak any Mandarin. So it sounded to me like this. And his interpreter over here says, all of you, this is like two minutes into his talk. He said nothing at all, as far as I can work out. All of you who don't know Jesus need to repent of your sin. Come to the front now. I'm thinking, like all these people start coming. I'm really upset now. It takes me like years to, you know, all this. And then he goes, and then this girl says, all of you who are church leaders in the city of Leeds, come to the front now. I hate things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally unashamed. I, I call anyone at the front at any given moment, but I'm not doing it. Why am I doing it? I turn and look at my wife. She looks at me. You know that kind of look? She just goes. And then I don't. And then she gives me the elbow. You know, that, like once she's, she looked at you once, you can avoid it. The elbow. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. I stand. And she gives me the elbow. At the very moment that I stand, Brother Yun goes, and the woman over here says, all of you in Leeds who have a problem with pornography, come to the front now. (laughs) At which point you have a decision to make. (laughs) Do you kind of sit really quickly, look very guilty, or do you do the walk of shame? You know, the walk of shame. I'm a big man. I thought, oh, I'm going to do the walk of shame. So I started to walk. I saw members of my congregation going, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 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 
And I get to the front, here's the thing. I get to the front, and uh, all, all, all the godly people are already there, and I get there, and God meets with me. And I, just, I don't actually have a problem with pornography. I've got so many other issues. We can talk about that later. I don't have an issue with pornography, but God met with me and dealt with me. Do you know, the thing I've discovered in, in, in ministry is when you make yourself vulnerable to the Holy Spirit of God, he always shows up. You always encounter him. And it was as if God set me up. And my life has never been the same again from, from that moment onwards. God set me up. I have a sneaking suspicion that God is setting up a generation to free a nation. I have a sneaking suspicion that God may have you here under false pretenses. That you think you're retreating to advance. <laughs> and he's just got an idea about the advance. That he's setting you up. He's freeing you up. He's putting dreams in your heads and passion in your heart to change a nation which is in a mess. Because a nation is in a mess. I mean, whichever way you slice it or cut it or dice it, our nation is in a mess. Our nation is broken and it's busted. Leadership is broken. Finances are broken. Families are broken. Morals are broken. Whichever way you dice it, it it's broken. And the church is in a mess. I mean, there are, there are, I don't want to talk the church down because it's the bride of Christ and I'm not about to do that. But actually, when you begin to look at what the state of the, of the church in the nation outside of a few bright spots, the church is in a bit of a mess. And God is setting up a generation to say, do you know, enough is enough. Same old, same old, we'll get the same old thing. And we're not settling for that anymore. And God, you said, you said, we're calling you on your promise. You said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and will seek my face and will turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their land. Then will I forgive their sin. And do you know what, God? We don't know exactly what that means, but we're up for it. We're up for it. We don't, we don't want to condemn the world because that's not what Jesus did, but we want to be part of the salvation of this world and the restoration of this world. And we want to find ourselves in the center of God's restoration plan for this world. That's what we're up for. I think God just might be setting a generation up to fully free a nation. Judges 6 and 7. I, I think an incredibly pertinent passage of scripture. A people who for seven years had cried out to the Lord. People of God were sick of, 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 of living in apostasy. People, people of God, he, he was saying, you know, we're tired of the enemy having our stuff and having our land. We, we, we're not going to, to lie in the river anymore. We've got to take some, some territory. The nation is in bondage. So the story, the backstory is that Midian and the eastern tribes were, were desert people. And they were desert people with a super weapon. It's like a nuclear weapon. It's called a camel. That's what, they, that's what they had. That's how they managed to invade. They had camels. No one else had camels. These guys had camels. They could move quickly over, over, over rough terrain. And they were very, very smart. They had this kind of desert storm strategy. So what happened was that every time they waited for Israel to plant the crops and then begin to harvest the crops and they with the camels. And they just took everything, including donkeys apparently. Isn't the scripture random? They took the donkeys. Oh no, they've got the donkeys. <laughs> Yeah, just random stuff. But the nation is in, a, is in a mess. And our nation is in a mess. Why? Because the enemy of God has enslaved the nation. 
and we are imprisoned in his strongholds. Check out 2 Corinthians 10 verse 2. We're enslaved in his strongholds, Greek word okarama. What it actually means is, is we're enslaved in ways of thinking and consequently ways of behaving which are set up to keep us from the life of the deep things of God. So the way in which we think in our nation, the way in which our culture is set up, the way in which we behave in our nation, which seems reasonable to us, but according to the scriptures is ungodly, keeps us from the deep things of God and keeps us in this boom and bust cycle that prevents us walking with God. That's why we're busted. The nation is in bondage. And the people of God are hiding in caves. We call them churches. People have got to hide in caves because it's so scary out there and the enemy seems to have all the tactics and we don't seem to have any way of, of, of beating him and defeating him. So the people of God are hiding in caves with their get out of hell free cards waiting till he calls or comes because it's scary out there. And the potential leaders are busy about domestic duties. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat on the top of a hill so the wind can get to it. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press which is under the ground hiding. You can't get much wheat in that wine press. He's living in the poverty of his thinking and in the fear of his thinking because someone might come and steal his wheat and his grain. The potential leaders of God's people, that's the danger. We're called to something so much more glorious. But we're busy moving the piano or the pews or changing the structures. Or hanging around in church when we were called to be the church. God is setting you guys up to free a nation. That's what he's doing. Watch this. God raises up unlikely people. Which is really good taking a look at you. I mean it is, isn't it? Isn't it great? Just take a look at the person next to you. Don't you think it's great that God uses unlikely people? Because there ain't much to look at. <laughs> I can't see. I was so blind. I can't see anything. I can see Pete. It's beyond that. <laughs> there's, no, there's no else. I'm an unlikely speaker. Really? I'm a very unlikely leader. I, I, I don't get up at five o'clock in the morning to pray. I can't. God, even God doesn't like me in the morning. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't got any of those airplane stories. Do you know the ones? <laughs> Do you know? I, I felt guilty for years. I thought I was going to go to hell or something. Because I, I just, honestly, airplane, I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to watch as many movies as I can <laughs> on, on, on an airplane. I know I should. I know that's awful. You know, everything else. But you don't, you don't want to sit next to me in an airplane. I'm not leading a healing revival anywhere. And I've never been on God TV. <laughs> I'm, I'm a really unlikely speaker. And Gideon, Gideon says this, I'm a rubbish, I'm a rubbish guy. I'm from a useless family. I'm the youngest runt son. I can't wait. wait, wait. Yeah. Mighty warrior. And you with your dysfunctional past. And your messed up family. And the stuff that you hope nobody ever finds out about. By the way, if that's you, don't hang around the prophetic people this weekend. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and, and, and your fearful future. Well, what's going to become of me and, and the things that were said over you that have scarred you and limited you? 
things your parents said. They didn't mean to, but they said that stuff. The thing, you, you with your stuff that you makes you feel like the runt of the litter from the, from, from the worst possible family. I, I have a suspicion that the Lord might have you here today just so that his Holy Spirit can whisper in your ear, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Or even bellow into your soul, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Would you stand up? Because I'm setting you up to free a nation. Now you have a choice when you read this passage of scripture. Either God is doing sarcasm or he's speaking prophetically. I I personally think a sarcasm would be quite funny if God did. Imagine God doing sarcasm. He'd be really good at it, I think. But, But clearly that's not the God that I worship. But he's speaking prophetically. He's calling out that which will be over you. When he says, would you stand, mighty warrior? Would you stand? That's the way he rolls. He uses unlikely people. I mean, he uses Noah. I mean, he, Noah's kind of, Noah's got a film out, by the way. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, <laughs> Noah, I found that funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Noah is, 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 is used at one of the kind of uh, pivotal points of the whole of history. And the moment that he gets out of the ark, he gets smashed out of his face. Abraham, he's the father of faith. What does Abraham do? He pimps his wife, he sleeps with the maid, and he laughs in the face of God. Well done, Abraham. Good skills. (laughs) Peter and John, sorry, James and John, sons of thunder. Not because they were good at weather forecasting, but, but because they had an anger issue, they had temper issues. And they're Jesus' best mates. Peter, frequently wrong but never in doubt. You know those kind of guys. You may have brought one of them with you. You know, that kind of person frequently. You know, and, and, and on you, I will build my church. The bride of Christ in this nation, hiding in caves, but still the bride of Christ. Unlikely, but God is setting you up to free a nation and you. Mighty warrior. Would you stand? Would you stand? Would you stand? Because the nation is in a mess. God uses really unlikely people. The second thing I want, I want you to notice is that God is wonderfully patient with your faith journey. I am so grateful for the grace of God. I'm so, Gideon asks three times for a sign. Now, if you read, if, you know, if you've hung around in church long enough to be slightly biblically dangerous, you will know God doesn't, God doesn't like signs very much, being asked for signs. You know, Don't ask me for a sign. Gideon asks three times. If I was God, I might just have wiped him out. <laughs> just showing my ungracious spirit. But I, I might have done. I might have just kind of said, well, let's just be honest. We'll use somebody else. But God has been incredibly patient with me, and he's incredibly patient. But, you know, I, I grew up in church. My father was a pastor. And, and I, as a sniveling wreck, I was down at the front most Sundays making a recommitment to Jesus. How many of you have ever done, done, done that kind of thing? I just, it was me, you know, I was, I was there and I knew that I'd sinned and every week I'd sinned some more and I needed some more and I was there down the front some more and every time I came to a conference like this, I was rededicating my life to God and everything was going to be different. And God has been incredibly patient with my faith journey. Because the last time you said... I'm going to do it, mighty warrior. And then three days later, you failed. He didn't wipe you out. Say, well, I've done with them. God is wonderfully patient with your faith journey. The third thing I want you to notice is he is 
powerfully present in his call. Look at verse 34 with me. The, the passage says this, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. This is Gideon who's, who's discouraged and inadequate, but God pours his Holy Spirit upon him. Better translation in the original language. The Lord put Gideon on. Don't you love that? The Lord put Gideon on like a, like a glove, like a suit of armor. The Lord put Gideon on. In other words, it was Gideon, it was his flesh, it was his purpose, it was his will, but it, but it was the Lord, his power, his presence, his priorities. So it's the Lord put Gideon on. Listen, the Lord is not about to call you to something that he's not willing to equip you for. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? I mean, in Edinburgh, we're all about the amen. Three of them. Really, you, you know, the Lord is not about to send you somewhere to some seemingly God-forsaken place to serve his purposes and, he, and not equip you for it, not enable you for it, not give you the power and the gifts and the ability and the team and everything you need to make it happen. He's not like that. He doesn't set you out on a limb and go, just go for it, off you go. He gives you everything you need to accomplish what he's called you to. He's not about to drag you kicking and screaming, but he is calling you. He's setting you up to change a nation. Can I just say something? You don't need to be ordained. Please, don't get ordained. Please don't get ordained. Only get ordained if you can do nothing else with your life. Go serve what's in front of you. Go love what's in front of you. Go minister to what's in front of you. We, 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 we need more ministers of culture than we need ministers of religion. We need more people who say, you know, I'm going to minister to the arts, and I'm going to minister to education, and I'm going to minister to government, and I'm going to minister to, to my estate, and I'm going to minister, I'm going to pastor my street. I'm the pastor. The reverend pastor of my street. That's what I'm going to do because God's calling me to it. And every time he calls you to it, he's going to equip you for it. He's going to give you everything you need to make it happen. The Lord puts you on. Exciting stuff, eh? So here's the challenge of the story. That's all great. That's, that's one. Here's the challenge. Before you see any kind of victory, you're going to have to dismantle the altars and the idols that are in your back gardens. Before you see any kind of victory, the Lord is setting you up and he's calling you to free a nation, but before you see any kind of victory, you have to deal with the idols and you have to deal with the gods that are in your back garden. You may not have put them there, but they're there nonetheless. And they debilitate you in walking in the things of God. And you think, Carl, how is this relevant? Because these are Baal altars and Asherah poles. It's so old school. Well, in, until you realize that Baal is the god of money and success, and Asherah is the goddess of pleasure and sex and fertility. So what are the idols that we collude with that prevent us walking in the deeper things of God? Stacks of them in our nation. <laughs> See the, see, the enemy works in, 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 in our minds, strongholds of the mind, not in your face, but behind your back. Individualism will rob you of community. Consumerism will rob you of participation in the things of God. 
Religion will rob you of the dynamic joy of a relationship with the living God. Fear will rob you of, spe of speculating on the power of God and cooperating with the spirit of God in this world. All these, all these things that, that, that seem reasonable to us will just rob us of the joy and life of God as he calls us, to, to, it propels us into this world to change this world in partnership with his Holy Spirit. What are the most obvious things that suck the life of the kingdom? We're going to do some bit of work here if you're up for it. How many of you are up for it? Six of you. Are up for it. How many of you are up for it? How many of you are not going to put your hand up whatever I ask? Thank you very much. Three things that I think um, rob us of the deep things of God. First is this, ambition. Money, success, power. I guess most of us here are followers of Jesus and think we've dealt with all that stuff. Maybe. But maybe it's far more subtle than that. The rhythm of our life devastatingly affected by the philosophy of this world. Let me show you. So I, it may not be true for you guys, and maybe you're just all so young and you, know, you think about these things, but, but in, in Edinburgh, I feel so old. I know I look so youthful, but I feel so old. Um, I, um, in Edinburgh, this is what happens. Um, uh, we, we try to move to a really good area so our kids can go to the right schools. And um, so we move to a good area, our kids can go to the right schools. Um, we push our kids to do well in their standard grades, which are like O-levels, which you don't even know what I just said, GCSEs. Um, and, uh, and then we push them a bit more so they can get hires, so they can get to good universities. They get to good universities, why? They get to good universities so they can get good jobs, so they can pay off the debt at the university. And, uh, and when they get a good job, they, um, they move to the good area so they can put their kids in a good school. And then, they, and then they get to a good school so you can get and push them on their A-levels and their A-levels and then they get to a good university and they go, hang on. Has anyone begun to realize how nuts that is as a way of living life? And how tied into that we get. See, the philosophy of this world is this. Your skill plus your effort equals your success. But that's not the philosophy of the kingdom of God. You're a, I mean, this is another sermon entirely. I don't know what I'm saying. But... <laughs> But the philosophy of the kingdom of God is this. Your abiding plus your pruning equals your fruitfulness. It's a whole different ballgame. But so many of us just get tied up in, in our success and pursuing success, acquiring and owning and providing and sustaining and paying it off. And the rhythms of our life become crazy busy. And here's the thing. You have no room and no time for the deeper things of God. And he's still speaking, but you're not listening anymore. Because what you think you're doing in listening has been so drowned out by the things of this world that you're obsessed with because it's the right thing to do and it seems so reasonable. And you've just killed the God life in you. Success. Friends, we've got to fast from that stuff. Because it will kill you. And it will kill everyone else around you. Let's just take a look for a moment at appetites. Once again, you know, if you're if you're a place like this, you're probably a really good Christian. So you, we probably don't have many sex addicts. I won't ask you to put your hands up. Um, probably don't have too many drug addicts. Although we may, maybe churches are full of food addicts. We don't judge that as much, do we? We're good at judging certain things. We don't judge that one so much. Um, TV addicts. What about church addicts? You ever thought about that? 
People who, who have got so obsessed with this institution called church and hanging around in this building called church and this organization called church, they're missing out on the deeper things of God. What about that? See, it's like candy floss. Stay with me. Um, I, I love candy floss, but candy floss is more about the look than the taste, isn't it? I think that looks incredible and it's huge. And if you've got a mouth as big as mine, it's one mouthful and it's gone. You know, it looked as if it was going to fill me up. And now it's gone and I need another one. It's like um, the enemy is set on providing people created in the image of God with illusions and mirages of glory. They're not glory. They just look like glory. And for a second, they taste like glory. But they're designed to keep you from the one for whose glory you're supposed to live. Does that make sense? And so you, you live your life pursuing, you know, whatever is on American box set that you're obsessing about this moment in time and, or, 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 or whatever the thing that you've got to get at this moment in time or whatever the relationship that is that you're, you're pursuing at this moment in time or whatever position in the church that is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning because that sometimes does. And they're all there, tricksy from the enemy to keep you from the thing that you're supposed to pursue which is the relationship and the intimacy with the living God who loves you and made you and has a plan for your life and is setting you up to free a nation. We've got to fast from this stuff because it will kill us. What about approval? You ever thought of that? See, the interesting thing is these aren't Gideon's idols. You know, it, almost he could say, they're not my idols, actually, but, but actually he's living... He's living in the reflected issues of his father's idols. He's still got to deal with them. I hadn't even put them there. No, no, but you've got to cut them down. You've got to cut them down. Listen, I'd, I don't want my kids to have to cut down the idols that I should have cut down. Because they're going to have their own stuff to deal with. I've got my own stuff to deal with. I'm sick of cutting things down that my parents and their generation should have cut down that prevented me walking in the things of God because I never realized until I, it was pointed out to me. There are things in our backyards that we've got to get rid of and we've got to cut down. You see, you can't have an altar to the Lord while you've still got an altar to Baal and an altar to Asherah. It didn't work that way. He's a jealous God. And if you say, I'm, I'm going all out for God, he might just point out that there's some stuff in your backyard that you've got to deal with. There can only be one authority in your life. You've just got to work out whether it's going to be culture or tradition or, or reason or feelings or experience. What's going to be the thing that you're going to place your weight upon and stand your weight upon? Is it what everyone else is doing? Is it, is it what you, has always happened in your family? Is it what you think about this moment in time? Is it how you feel? Or is it the authority of the word of God and the spirit of God? Do you know what? You don't have to be that brave. You might even use a weekend like this to cut some idols down. Gideon does it at night because he's scared. Still a bit of a wimp. Because everyone's going to be annoyed. Maybe the Lord's just going to say, you know, there's some stuff. There's some approval stuff. There's some addiction stuff. There's some appetite stuff. There's some ambition stuff that, that is, you know, according to the things of this world, isn't so bad. But actually, it prevents you walking in real victory in the things that God has for you. It's about time to take a bull and to knock it down and then sacrifice to the living God. It's about time.
And the story goes on, and you know, we really haven't got loads of time now, but Midian shows up with, the historians reckon, about 135,000 troops with their camels. Remember? They got all these troops. And, 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 and Gideon does a really good job. I mean, from, from wimp to warrior. I mean, just, I mean, it's amazing, really. 32,000 show up. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And, and 32,000 show up and God goes, mm. 32,000 is no good because downhill with the wind on a good day with the sun in their eyes, you might think you accomplished something. And that's not going to go good for any of us. So let's get rid of almost all of them. And I'll leave you with 300. You sort of think, Gideon goes, you know, I thought it was going to be difficult enough. And you're just giving me 300. But here's the thing. You get rid of your idols. You listen to the Holy Spirit saying, stand up, mighty warrior. You let the Holy Spirit put you on. And then suddenly something happens which changes absolutely everything. It's going to ruin you for the limitations of the rational. Because the, the odds... 450 to 1. There's no way in which that's going to work, is there? It's just nuts. You've got to kill, one person's got to kill 450. How's that going to work? It's not going to happen. But God is going to ruin you for the limitations of the rational. And he's going to have to do it because the statistics don't work. I don't know what the statistics are in England, but I know this. The evangelical Bible-believing Christians in Scotland, you know, the land of the nation, the land of the word of God. 98% of people in Scotland don't know and love Jesus. 98%. Which you could look at as absolutely devastating. Or you could see it as an incredible opportunity for the light of Jesus to shine in darkness. God is going to ruin you for the limitations of the rational. And he's going to say, come on, mighty warrior. Come on. I'm putting you on. God is going to open your eyes to his supernatural strategy. Let me leave you with this thought. In in ancient warfare, um, a trumpet would be held by the leader of a thousand men. So when we look at God setting this thing up and he puts them into three camps and he gives everyone a torch and he gives everyone a trumpet, we think, oh, this is really not going to go well. But hear this. What are the Midianites down in the valley asleep here? When they hear 300 trumpets, they hear 300,000 men coming down the hill at them. God's not stupid. And you know what? Sometimes he's going to expose supernatural strategies which are going to change a nation, but only to people who say, God, put me on. Put me on. God, I'm going to deal with the stuff in my backyard. If you help me, if you expose what that stuff is, I'm up for this. I want to be your mighty warrior, even though it looks unlikely, even though people have said stuff against me and they've limited me. I'm going to go for it. You and me are in a majority. God is setting you up to free a nation. Listen to William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, who was asked the secret to his success. He says this, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. 
But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life.